0: listening to episode 276 of sci-fi tv rewatch my name's dave and i'm joined as always by my co-host wayne as we continue our look at the netflix horror series the haunting of hill house and hopefully the parents didn't haunt you too much with your parent conferences this evening
1: no no it, it was you know they actually by the most part i mean they're it's it's good to talk to the parents and they're very nice people uh you know in my you know twenty two years of teaching, I think I've only had two conferences that were like really adversarial um
0: usually they're they're pretty good and I actually got uh three parents actually gave me gifts tonight, so wow, well you see you're also right on that cusp and and I'm not sure if it was last week in the feedback Fred mentioned your birthday or if it was this week, I can't keep track of it, but you're getting to the point now where the parents are starting to be younger than you, I would think,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. They're, well, yeah. They're, I would say, or, or right on that cusp. Yeah. They're. It's, this is. Yeah. They're either my age or, or younger. So. Because Jerry, mm-hmm. when we had Sean, we were thirty.
0: So we were kind of older
1: parents, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um, glad it went well. You're half about halfway done. let I me mean, yeah, not quite half. One but, third of the uh, way.
1: One third of the way. Yeah. yeah. So we're good. Okay. By this time tomorrow, I will be Dunzies and. I have Wednesday off to uh to get ready for Thanksgiving and and then Thursday is the best which
0: probably I think my favorite holiday of the year. Yeah, hands cool. down.
2: So. All
0: right, well listen, um hope all of you are going to have a great Thanksgiving and I guess they don't do that in Europe, Fred can't <laughs> chime you in since should, Thanksgiving. You should. Like like
1: seriously, Thanksgiving is incredible. It's it I is. mean, you know, granted you probably wouldn't get the football games in time to just sit around and watch football and eat Turkey and drink beer. But darn it. <laughs> Those are like three of my favorite things of all time.
0: So yeah, no question. So, all right, well, let's uh, get into the podcast here. So we want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you. Emails go to sci-fi TV, rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab, record your own audio clip the way Fred does and send it to us tweet us at sci-fi tv rewatch and consider joining the facebook group and get into the discussions there now it has been a little while since i've brought up the patreon account and you know if if you're new to the podcast uh, we opened it to help defray the costs of producing sci-fi tv rewatch because it's not free and as we've said before we're never going to charge for content when we get around to bonus content i know you probably thinking like oh, you guys have said that for like you know <laughs> a year and uh, right. you know, but it 's going to, to be available the to- possibility that that it'll be out there that 's right and you know of course, we hope you choose to become a patron, but if not, no worries we 're still going to keep talking about the shows we all love and if you are interested, you can go to the website, look for the patreon link on the right side of the page, or you can go to patreon that 's p a t r e o n dot com slash sci fi TV rewatch and we'd like to thank Mike Jacobs, Cindy Barrick, Dan LaRock, Fred Petrie, a.k.a. Fred from the Netherlands, Harvey Williams, and Ken Pricer. Thank you, guys. It means a lot.
1: It does. You know,
0: right. People might question
1: our business model of not charging even for the bonus material. <laughs> They're like, so um, even if I don't do Patreon, you'll do produce the bonus material? And the answer is yes. Yes. So, so it so might be a, an unusual business model, but it's one we're comfortable with.
0: All right. Now, in news this week, we finally got a drop date for Travelers Season 3, and it's going to be Friday, December 14th, so all feedback needs to be in by Sunday, noon, Eastern time. And as we said before, we'll pick that up and go one episode at a time, and then return to finish up uh, Haunting of Hill House. All right. You want to go first this time with uh, Tip of the Week? Um,
1: Yes. So... Um, you were supposed to remind me to talk about Walking Dead, but you didn't. But yeah, you know, so uh, hey, talk about but, Walking Dead. So we talk about talking. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about Walking Dead. I'm gonna walk about talking. I'm talking about Walking Dead. It is not necessarily in the tip of the week, as in I am recommending you to watch this. Um, I might not watch Walking Dead again. I don't know. Um, so everyone knows, you know, uh, the Andrew Lincoln was leaving. It's a big deal. Rick, Rick's gonna go. Rick's gonna go. Rick's gonna go. Uh, I'm not going to go into any details about that because maybe there's people out there who haven't seen it yet. Actually, it's ridiculous. You should, if you're in the Walking Dead, you should definitely see it yet. But the point is, um, now that the, I mean, there's still like you know some characters on the show from the original show, but really the show is not this. I think did you send me the article about about. Well, yeah, so, and I, you know, like the stuff in that article I pretty much totally agreed with, uh, the show is nowhere near as good as it was. And, and you know, honestly, you know what, this is season nine, right? So, you know, that's uh, understandable, but there's just, uh, you know, it's just not there anymore. Really for me, they, they kind of did a big leap forward where, you know, Rick goes out and they kind of jump ahead probably like five, six years, I guess. I'm not sure exactly how long I'm trying to gauge based on the the age of, of Rick's daughter now, Judith. You know, I'm thinking, okay, you know, this little jump ahead, so it's kind of a reset. The show, you know, they're going to kind of... But the, the show is basically, it's like everything, like nothing, it seems like apparently nothing has changed over the time between, you know, that they jumped. So it's really like nothing's different, and it really wasn't great before. So I know this. I try not to be too negative, but I don't know about Walking Dead. I'm I'm still. I'm probably going to ride out the rest of this season just because I've been watching it since its first episode. Um, And so to to dump it now doesn't seem like you know. I'm I'm not going to do that. I don't think, but I'm definitely going to have to reassess once this season is over.
0: Okay, and the article that you're talking about, I forget the exact title, and and if you can remind me, I'll try to put a link in the Facebook group. But it's basically talking about why fans are walking away from The Walking Dead, and as you kind of allude, it's a it's an apocalyptic story, and we've got a lot of those out there. I'm covering Van Helsing for Den of Geek, and that's a vampire apocalypse, and we've got The Hundred, which is a different type of apocalypse and at some point there has to be hope there has to be progress for the characters to make it can't always be dark and that's what i get out of that article as you know i don't really watch walking dead but that as you said nothing has changed well stuff has to change you know the fans you want to see well, some progress, even if they revert back to doom and gloom again, right? Well, it's it's um it,
1: you know, it's it's progressed and and it's changed, but you know it's you know I don't know. I, I guess part of the original thing I liked about it, which was they they talk about in it, is how at first. They were fighting the zombies, right? Or the, the you know, the dead, the walkers and everything. And it was this survival story, and they're trying to fight this implacable. And then it kind of took a turn, which I guess it's I, I haven't read it in the comics, but I think it's kind of the turn it takes in the comics as well. Well now they start running to other people and now all the humans are killing each other. So instead of like uniting and trying to fight the walkers, it's and so it's this really obviously this very negative kind of condemnation of human nature how people are essentially selfish and cruel and vicious and and that is kind of what the show is run with a lot and so yeah you know, yeah like you know great i don't expect flowers and roses but every now and then yeah it seems like you need hope i mean and that's just one aspect of of many you know like um i think i think the thing you sent me was actually like a link a youtube link right but uh you know they the the vicious way they killed off like especially glenn like here's a guy who was well first of all they they fake killed him like everyone thought he was dead but then he came with some deus ex machina that he escapes only to get killed in a horribly horribly vicious manner and that was i mean that was genuinely disturbing like to me i remember when when that happened that like kind of affected me for not for like a super long time but it definitely affected me and so like i I don't want like shows that like bum me out and and had me shaken and 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 feeling terrible like i don't know that's like what i really watch television
0: for you know all right well i'll try to uh get a little more upbeat with mine and I totally understand where you're coming from with that because those are still some of the things that that I wrestle with with Van Helsing although I think they are moving in in a more positive direction still keeping the apocalypse going but season two of Mars which is a series on Nat Geo has just dropped and well actually just aired Uh, it dropped implies it's like the Netflix format which all the episodes drop it once which is not the case so if you have the nat geo national geographic channel on your cable or satellite system check it out Um, i'm not sure how you can go back and watch season one but both seasons one and two six episodes so it's not a lot of time investment if you want to get caught up so what the show does is it alternates between a real-time non-fiction Approach and the projects that are actually underway to eventually put men and women on Mars and then a speculative future in 2033 when those projects have come to fruition and we establish the first human colonies on the red planet. Okay. And it's really cool. It's really well done. And uh, I I would certainly urge you to check it out because so many of the things that they do – Again, both in the planning stage and the execution stage, you think, okay, that makes perfect sense. We really could live on Mars. So, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, check it out. Mars Nat Geo Season 2. So what
1: did they do? Like, what, did, what technology did they go with to well, make well, it? well,
0: for instance, what they did was the earlier missions... What they would do is they would basically drop buildings so that they're, before the humans actually go there to inhabit the planet, they place the structures, the living quarters, the power stations, the, the water filtration, you know, whatever, all these things that they're going to need in terms of life support and food production, they put those there first. So they're ready to go when the colonists arrive and i never really thought about it in those terms even though that kind of makes perfect sense right. to do it that way but one of the things that, that depends on uh, elon musk's company and i always forget the exact name is it rocket x spacex spacex right so that the first thing they have to come up with is the reusable rocket Otherwise, it just gets way too expensive. So, you know, they come up with that. And anyway, so enough about Mars. Let's get to uh, the twin thing and yep. the haunting of Hill House, which uh, is an interesting episode. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it. Fred's got uh, some comments that, that kind of echo the way I'm feeling about this episode. So I'll, I'll hold off those comments until we talk about Fred's feedback. But... This is episode four, season one, The Twin Thing, written by Scott Kozar, directed by Mike Flanagan. Uh, you know, any initial thoughts on your end? Luke says to Steven, this isn't what it looks
1: like, and we don't believe him. And that's kind of like a big motif throughout this thing is we don't, no one believes Luke from the time he's a kid through his junkie hood up till even now he's clean, still no one believes him, right? Right, but now we see his side of it, and certainly what we learn here is that it wasn't what it looked like, you know, which I think I said that before, so I bet you it's not what it seems, like we think he's a junkie and stealing Stephen's shit because he wants to get high again, but that's totally not it, so it's interesting to to see things that from another perspective, and we kind of have seen this a little bit, they're doing it more and more now where we're seeing um scenes that we've already seen but now seeing it from the other character's perspective
0: right we know so. why he broke into to steven's apartment and as you said it wasn't for drugs exactly and so luke becomes what we saw of him before
1: as the the guy showing up high to Nellie's wedding uh that shirley sends packing he's a mess uh he's unreliable and we just hear these all these terrible things about him and now we see him and we're like,
0: "Yeah, know, I, I kind of like Luke, you know? Well, one of the things that strikes me, obviously, it's more about adult Luke than his experiences as a child at Hill House. That said, I guess I just don't understand the significance of a lot of what it is we see in this episode. Joey, in particular... The opening scene, and here I said I was going to wait till Fred's feedback, but I, I won't go into detail because yeah, that's something Fred brings up as well. I, I just feel like there was too much time spent on things that we don't really need to see, or else I'm just missing the importance of these things.
1: I, I think that there's probably stuff that we see here that will play out later more uh, thematically. But I think really what what this to me was like, you know, us really like kind of like last week was, you know, us seeing Theo and what she's all about and what she's like as a person. And so we're kind of getting that for Luke now and to see, You know, the stuff he went through as as a youngster and as an adult um, that, you know, so it's it's not necessarily so much about the house at this point, right? Because, like, while it started off a lot about the house, um, I think kind of like the last three episodes have really been more about uh, character studies of the individual characters that they were focusing for those, you know
0: okay and and i get that um i guess i want to say did you guys forget that this is supposed to be a horror series and i understand that a lot of the horror is psychological in nature still but dude you know what i mean that the scene with the guy the cane
1: like like wondering, if it was a horror show that scene
0: with the floating man uh should have definitely reminded you yeah now i didn't look in imdb to see what they actually call him or in the credits i I should have done that i just call him floating man and you know certainly one of the questions that, that we'll talk about who or what is floating man and under what circumstances does luke see him and then the chills and the aches that he's experiencing, even though he claims that he hasn't been using, and we do believe him at that point. Who is Clara? That voice that young Luke hears. Yeah, and then I don't know what to call that device. You know, the the, the little yeah, the horn speaking like, things, yeah, the horn know. things. Got to be some official
1: name for it, but I don't know what that is.
0: Right, but he sees an old woman. Yeah, in in the reflection. So. Yeah you know we'll we'll get to those in the course of this discussion so so there really are some things to talk about but i i guess overall I'm just a little disappointed there isn't more to talk about so l- let's start with the past at hill house and that scene where luke is talking to abigail outside of the house mm-hmm. and we don't see it for very long he's talking to abigail were you surprised that she didn't talk back, or did you just figure that was going to be the case? No, I mean I didn't
1: think that. I didn't expect her to really talk. I don't think because you know we're, we're still unsure if Abigail is uh, an actual thing, whether a person, ghost, whatever. She does take the paper from him though.
0: So well, we would we would need Nellie or Theo to come outside and be in the scene and. and- See their visual perspective right. of Luke to know whether or not she's really there, and we, of course, don't get that. He's drawn the monster from the basement and reiterates, as you said at the top of the discussion, that that this episode is a lot about that recurring motif that nobody believes him, and he also brings up that nobody believes Nellie either about Bent Neck Lady, which is the title of next week's episode. But then you believe me, don't you, Abigail? And it's just such a chilling scene. And I was telling my wife, I think you'd really like this because it's not what you (laughs) think. Now I sound like uh, Luke. It's not what you think it is. Right. And I think she'd really like it.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, Yeah, you're right, because we just don't have any kind of – real confirmation about what the deal is with abigail uh because yeah like still luke is the only one who has seen her now but when you think about it the other things that luke is saying like so far what we've seen like the 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 other things that that he sees that people don't believe him that he saw it seems like now whether they're actually there or not we don't know but he actually
0: is seeing them you know right um, and and he even says though to his father this house is bad dad bad yeah and, and he and nelly seem to be the only ones that really seem to be experiencing whatever it is that that's really frightening them the mother though you know she's been up in the attic i guess clearing out stuff that Presumably, they can sell and, and get some more cash. We saw that scene earlier uh, in, in the series. But she gives Nell a box of buttons, and Luke gets that hat. Now, the buttons become important because Luke explains as he's setting up them up around his army men that there are seven buttons, one representing each member of the family, and that that's his little method of overcoming his fears, just right. counting one, two, three tells Nell, touch the button, that helps, and you just have to do it as many times as you need to. Right, which is really like, I mean,
1: like, psychologically, that's very obsessive behavior, right? Yeah, oh, no question.
0: And then he he gets... God, No, no, go ahead. I have no idea. Well, I was just going to say he also gets that hat from the mother, and then she puts on the shawl that she found and claims to have a deja vu and starts describing in detail... What it is she sees? Yeah, uh, that's not I mean,
1: déjà vu. That's like seeing. That's like a vision, you know.
0: Unless she's implying that she's actually been here before, that I guess would be a true déjà vu. But right, yeah, I, I'm like you. I didn't take it that way. I just thought she misused that word. Still, you get the sense that she's seeing a previous family. Yeah, that lived in Hill House. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Hughes, like,
1: well, that's very specific. <laughs> you know, like, um, so yeah, it's it's more than just a like a deja vu. I mean, I think she's seeing, you know, either like a fa- she maybe she's seeing the ghost. I mean, we know there's ghosts there, right? So maybe she's seeing the ghosts that inhabit the house, or maybe well, right, she's but- seeing the family
0: back when the Hill family lived there. Yeah, but what about Hugh's reaction? He just takes it all in stride right. as if he's heard this sort of thing a number of times before. and Or he thinks he's
1: making it up and he's just like, yeah, whatever.
0: Well, yeah. I didn't really get that impression. I, I guess I felt a- as if he knows that his wife has this ability or whatever you want to call it and what i find interesting is that if in fact that's true that he accepts that his wife has these visions or and whether or not they go along with her migraines again i don't know but to totally discount his two youngest children's descriptions of things that they see maybe it's denial that yeah it's bad I, no, I think
1: that- i think that's a great word for it actually
0: Bad yeah, I, enough that my wife suffers. I don't want my children.
1: Well, right, and you know he doesn't accept this that that there is supernatural forces at work. And there are supernatural forces at work here, you know. Yeah. So uh, that's and- why I think, like, not that he's blowing off Olivia's vision, but that he just doesn't believe in that. So when she says that, he's just like okay and, and like maybe he sees it as imagination which is what he thinks for the kids he tells them it's just your imagination right and he right. doesn't listen and, to them
0: well and the episode is called the twin thing and most people have heard stories about twins being able to sense things even though the they were physically apart and whether that's supernatural in nature i I think you would almost have to say that it is and and whether or not it's actually true there's probably enough anecdotal evidence to to support it but you know we see a lot of these kinds of things between the twins and then when luke and nelly are playing with those horns he hears that voice clara and then sees the face of an old woman reflected on the horn I guess we have to put two and two together and say that is Clara. Now, who Clara is, I don't remember that name being on one of the gravestones that we saw in one of the earlier episodes. Probably should have gone back and looked. <laughs> I should have looked in the first place, and I didn't, so I don't know either. But then we get that consistent tapping that wakes Luke. <sighs> I, you know, say what you will about little Luke. Dude is brave. I don't, yeah. Yeah. I'd have gone right under the covers, but he goes out into the hallway and he sees that tall, older man. And the more I watch this episode, that scene in particular, a guy's got to be seven foot at least,
1: probably taller. Yeah,
0: he's very tall, unnaturally tall. Yeah, and he's walking with a stick or a cane or whatever it is. And he's floating about a foot off the ground as he moves down the hallway. Well, Luke does what any sensible person would do. He goes back in his room, hides under the bed, and. No, a sensible ex- person would have gone screaming out the door. Or, 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 or what we half expect is that as he's backing into his room, when he turns around, the floating man's going to be there, but of course he's not but the scene's not over because the door opens, the man floats in, picks up and puts on the hat. So I'm assuming it's the same hat that his mother found in the attic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, is the guy just coming back to recover his hat? (laughs) What is this all about? Yeah, Well, yeah. And he's, you
1: know, he's, he's headed out the door when, uh, when Luke makes the noise and that brings him back into the, the room, you know, which which you know this is how like really good horror works because we're, we're with Luke just leave just go away this Luke hold your breath until the guy leaves but of course he can't he gasps and this the the pounding stops we see the feet turn around and we're just like oh no 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 uh, and, of course, I mean, what is the scariest thing for a little kid? Is you're hiding under a bed and someone, like, peeks underneath it, like, like gotcha, right? Like, even when you know it's your parents, that kind of terrifies you as a kid. When it's a seven-foot-tall floating ghost,
0: oh, my God. Yeah. And we get that. It's a great visual scene, his long fingers under there. You almost think he's going to lift the bed up. Uh, oh uh, that was so that was so scary yeah <laughs> now now I mentioned the seven buttons and in, in his conversation with Nelly he says that keeps you safe from what you know we we know about Abigail we know about the floating man now we know about bent neck lady so uh, and we assume that he has never seen bent neck lady and she has never seen Abigail, but we don't know that at this point. Right. Well, and and that's the
1: thing. Like, right. We we don't know that, but it's, it seems like, you know, the, the kids ghosts are, are personalized, you know, like no one sees bent neck lady except for Nellie. It appears that Luke is the only one who sees the tall guy and Abigail. What else? Uh, you know, uh, what well, we got? Uh, Shirley uh, saw her mother, right? So right. it just seems like all these visions are like kind of personalized, I guess would be the way to say it. So could this be more like, like you said, like psychological
0: horror rather than supernatural? Yeah. Uh, Let's take a look at adult Luke in rehab and we're introduced to a scene in LA 90 days ago and we see him in this recovery group meeting and the scene that I was referring to at the beginning that I just really don't understand and Fred brings it up in his feedback about the blind vet telling about his horrific experiences in the Middle East that he sees the dead girl's face once he's back in the States and you know he blinds himself with knitting needles, yet he still sees the dead girl. I leaned on that habit to get rid of that face. And I don't know why so much time was spent with that and what it really has to do with Luke. I mean, is the connection supposed to be that Luke has this drug habit as a means of not seeing Abigail,
1: or or whatever else? He's, or floating so, man? Right. Well, and so you know, like at, at the end of this episode, where he's being quote unquote followed, we think it's the floating man. But even before it was like we see it's Olivia I'm like whoever that person is is nowhere near as tall as as that ghost he saw in Hill House and it seems like that ghost so i'm like to me that's not an actual ghost but more as like some kind of manifestation of
0: his addiction you know and okay now the ghost you're talking about is that the the thing crawling along the ground in the basement? No,
1: the at the end of the episode, that's following him with it has so it says a trench coat and the bowler hat was facing away from him, and he's not floating; he's actually walking on the ground. Well, it was floating, but it just wasn't as tall as it seemed to be. Not as tall, and then when Luke turns around, it's Olivia's face, right? Not the the guy who who stuck his head under the the um the bed so either two things that he's haunted but more by his mother not this guy or two that this whole thing is some kind of manifestation again like of some kind of inner psychological turmoil that's going on for luke um much like the guy who we're talking about the vet who blinds himself because he is just unable to 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 deal with the psychological turmoil that he's experiencing. Okay. Now, uh, so I I don't know the answer is I don't know. I don't know. I don't know know exactly what the purpose is. I, you know, I didn't really think about it until like I saw Fred's feedback. I'll admit that, you know, they did spend a lot of time in that. And for what purpose, you know, but I I think the idea of being haunted by something, uh, we're seeing it in a non-supernatural arena. Right. Well, this guy is haunted by this girl.
0: Well, right. I get that. But I don't really feel like we needed to be told that. I think we understand that we have enough experience, whether through television, through reading about, you know, vets experiences. And it really isn't necessary to tell us that Luke turned to drugs as a means of coping with whatever happened to him at Hill House. I think we all figured that out. Without that scene. So, uh, not to belabor that, let, let's go ahead and talk about Joey a little bit, who is his female friend in the recovery center. And when we first see him, he's on the making amends stage, which is apparently the one that keeps tripping him up. Mm-hmm. She's nine months clean, we're told. And Luke seems really lucid, really on his way to recovery. He finds out that Stephen calls to find out if he's still there, which again goes back to what you said it's nobody ever believes me yeah and and while he understands that he's done a lot in his life to cause people to take that attitude i guess he just wants a chance and of course as steven says later when he and joey are over their house for dinner i'm all out of chances i gave them yeah. all to you right and in in that scene, we think, oh, Steven's such an
1: a-hole, right? Like, he's just such a jerk. Like, he's not supporting his brother. You know, Joey's super cool. But when he he predicts exactly what's going to happen, you know, like, I can't remember. He calls her slick. He says, just because someone's a good person, just because you care about them, doesn't mean they won't burn you. And she burns him. Yeah. Yep. Like, harsh. Right. She even kisses him just so she can steal his
0: money. Yeah. Yep. Now, while he's in that recovery center, he wakes from a dream, sees Nell standing in his room, and she tells him to go. Well, he wakes from the
1: dream. Right, right, right.
0: right. And and tells him to go. and, And, of course, he interprets it to mean go and find Joey, which at the time we don't recognize what the consequences of that action will will really be we do get a flash to the two young twins playing with that antique communication device and they're dropping buttons down it and you know of course um this is where they hear the voice and, and he sees the reflection but he says, I had a moment last night, one of those. He he calls Nell, and, and she doesn't pick up, and he leaves a message on her machine. You know what I'm talking about, he says. So this whole twin communication, no matter how far apart we are, is real in his mind. My guess is it's real in her mind, though we haven't necessarily heard it to the extent that, that we hear him. So even though joey has left him that note that says don't follow me we know he's going to and on the one hand you you feel good about him making that decision because we know that he's clean we know she's been clean he's really just going out to help a friend stay clean but everything obviously spirals out of control from that point on
1: Yeah, yeah, things go really badly wrong for Luke, but you know, he—it's kind of like when he was a kid. In spite of the suffering he goes through, he still kind of maintains uh, his—you know—that iron—that iron iron string inside of him. You know, like he doesn't go back to using, and you can see him sitting on that bench watching the people and he's i don't know if he's looking there like longingly or with pity. but i think someone who's a long-time addict would be very difficult to sit and be near that kind of situation and not be affected by that yet through this all like he stays like he's freezing he's he feels like he's going through this like what He's going through withdrawal again, even though he hasn't touched any drugs. He's still going through those symptoms of withdrawal, which are terrible. He, he gets beat up. He gets his jacket and his shoes stolen. He gets his, this girl that he, he kind of cares for you know, as a friend, but then she kisses him. Then she steals the money that he basically got by stealing his brother's stuff. He goes through all this and just everything bad is happening to him. But in the end, you know, he actually comes through like a pretty good person. And, and, I, you know, I would say maybe even stronger at the end of all this.
0: Well, yeah, I agree. And the interesting thing, though, continues to be the role of the floating man because, you know, once he finds her, He tells her, well, I'm going to get some money. We're going to get a motel room because they can't go back to the shelter or or to the recovery center because that's the rule. If If you leave, you're not coming back. He ends up going to Stevens. But even before that, when he's telling her he's going to get money for a motel room, he sees the floating man across the street. But does he? That's what I'm
1: saying. Is it the floating man? I don't think it is. I think it's Olivia in the bowler. Okay. Yeah. You know, or like I said, like something not even a ghost, just like some kind of
0: psychological kind of haunting because So what what well, what causes these things to manifest themselves? I mean, is there is there something in his current state whether it's fear, whether it's uh, you know, self-loathing. It, 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 there's got to be something that produces these images. And i I'm, I'm not sure really that i have a handle on it at this point no i i don't either but i
1: i think you know as far as traumatic experiences go seeing the floating man and having the floating man peek underneath the bed that's got a rank as far as like incredibly traumatic things that can really really screw a kid up it, it would only be natural that his adult manifestations where all those things you talked about like legitimate reasons that he might actually be manifesting this image that looks like the floating man but when he actually confronts it it it's his his mother's face
0: okay but then let's go back to the floating man as a child he hears that tap tap tapping goes out in the hallway and he sees floating man yeah floating man comes in as what what's that i I, so, I don't know i don't know so at this point supernatural we don't really oh, have yeah. another oh, explanation well that, that,
1: yeah i mean yeah. I, like you know as i'm watching this i'm still i mean as you can tell i'm still kind of convinced that we're talking psychology here but then when i saw that it's like okay really no amount of psychology is gonna cause someone to float in the air like this is you know this isn't like someone messing with them uh you know what was it the 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 Dudleys is that the family yeah you know so it's it's not like anyone like you know messing around with them I mean that that's that's a supernatural thing that's happening right there
0: okay now one thing that I I certainly don't feel it's a narrative device flaw if you will but I, I guess I have a hard time keeping track of is Luke 30 days clean? Is he 90 days clean? Is he not clean? As it flashes back and forth, and, and the fact that I have difficulty keeping up with it, I don't see that as a negative necessarily, but he goes to Stephen's house for the money at, at this point, and, and Joey's waiting across the street. Lee answers the phone, tells him that you know Stephen moved out, and then he flashes back to a dinner that the four of them had when right. he was 30 days clean yes so if this is 30 days clean the first 30 of his 90 then at this point joey's been clean for over eight months or, or about eight months yeah from so all right so Everything seems to be going great at this dinner. We get that scene where you see Joey and Lee outside talking after dinner, and they seem to really be connecting. How did we get to this point? And what did you think about the dinner? You know, especially when she brings up the fact that Luke is a writer as well, and he wrote about this character named Abigail. And what do you think about Steven's reaction?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, like, clearly at the end of this, as I said before, we're supposed to think that Steven is just a big a-hole. But Steven is also, he's like like the dad here, kind of. You know, while Joey is very charming, he calls her slick. You know, she's telling all these stories about, like, rehab and everything, which is just not impressing Steven, like, at all. Because, again he's been through all this stuff with luke so you know he doesn't find anything charming about the rehab stories
0: right and you understand that but i was a little surprised that he says oh yeah i wrote about abigail in one of my books right and of course he must have known about abigail from luke but the fact that Luke is writing about it. And I understand that Stephen has no idea that Luke is writing about Abigail just to appropriate this hallucination, supernatural manifestation, whatever it is. And you've got this attitude towards your brother. And I get that he's burned you many times. I understand that it's it's a complex relationship. These two have, I just, found his manner at the dinner table a little off-putting
1: well well yeah yeah absolutely um but you know i, I mean i kind of like how they did that because they make like steven have to be such a jerk and then he actually turns out to be the one who was kind of like reading the situation correctly you know like because she does she he,
0: like joey does exactly what steven predicted she would No, there's no question. Absolutely. Well, let's jump to that final scene. Adult Luke is counting on the street as he's waiting for Paige. And I guess at that point, he doesn't know that Stephen's going to be with Paige, I I don't think, because he had called her. Yeah, he would have had to call her because he doesn't have a phone. Um, Floating Man, or we think it's Floating Man, comes toward him. Right. I Wait, like how you've just, you've now altered how you refer to it, like to, to Right, because <laughs> it's his mother in the hat and coat, and she looks pretty awesome in the hat and coat. I must say,
1: you know, like you know, when she had the bowler on before, I kind I'm liking the look.
0: Yeah, me too. But she says, "Come home, my love." Yeah. Well, what's that mean? Well, I, know, that, the, the two the light switch? Right. Okay. So you just think it's it's that? Is it? possible to interpret come home my love that come home with me i'm dead kill yourself or yeah. <laughs> yeah i you know i don't i
1: don't i don't know if she's going there but i mean we know all roads lead back to hill house i mean we know where this where episode 10 is going to take place right right so well, even, yeah. even if you haven't looked ahead i mean you know this this All this stuff is going to come back. They're going to end up, everyone's going to be in Hill House. And that's where all this is going to get
0: hashed out or whatever. Okay. But but the car pulls up, Stephen gets out, and it's really an emotional scene. He hugs Stephen, and Stephen even hugs him back. I think even Stephen, cold son of a bitch that he can be, understands the distress his brother's in. And then Luke says, I'm sorry, I couldn't help her. At first, we assume he means Joey and not Nell. But he keeps going on about feeling stiff and sore, even though he didn't use drugs. Is this a connection? Is he feeling the fact that Nell has died and the way a corpse would go through rigor mortis? Is that that i i I told so strong
1: that's i that's exactly what i think is is what's
0: happening here absolutely and then if you go back throughout the episode he's been rubbing his neck yes yep as if it's sore so did nell hang herself i mean we don't know that right but but yeah i
1: wonder
0: well they he wakes up everyone wakes up
1: choking right like yes. all four of them wake up grasping their neck and, and then, yeah, the twin spends the whole time, you know, and, and there's even that scene, uh, where Olivia and Hugh are, are in the library and she looks at the, the stairwell and she's like, you know, you should take care of that stuff up there. You know, cause when she's seeing things, she's saying, I'm seeing bodies hanging from there. And she says it with, like, a smile. I'm like, why are you smiling saying that? It's not, like, a good thing to see. Like, I would say absolutely that. I mean, when we heard Nell commit suicide, I mean, probably we saw her at Hill House, right? So, I mean, there's probably a a lot of things she could do, but there's plenty of places to to hang oneself from there. Um, So the idea that she hanged herself... Uh, I, I, I think is very likely, especially when we see like you you picked up on it right there. You know Luke's reaction; he wakes up choking, and then you know he keeps rubbing his neck like there's something wrong
0: with it. So yeah, but his first reaction once Stephen tells him that it was suicide, he says it wasn't.
1: Right. Well, you know it's, it's funny because
0: th- he says no,
1: and then it's like he pauses and he's almost kind of like like looking inside, you know, and then he says. It wasn't, you know. So you can see him kind of actually assessing, like, so now that he understands that Nellie's dead, now he can properly like kind of assess everything that's been happening to him for like the last day, and and he comes to conclusion: no, she she didn't. It's not
0: suicide at all. All right. Anything else you want to bring up before we listen to Fred? Um, I think we're good. Let's let's hear what Fred
2: has to say. Hello Dave and Wayne, this is Fred from the Netherlands with feedback for The Hunting of Hill House, Season 1, Episode 4. First off, I found out that the guy that Shirley shortly sees on the couch of her funeral home in Episode 2 is surely not the mark attendant from her mother's funeral. Although both excerpts are called James, it's not the same guy. The funeral home attendant is played by James Flanagan, who has no photograph on IMDb, but I found him somewhere else. The guy with a drink in his hand is played by James Leverty, and is mentioned in the IMDb credits for this episode 2 as Ryan. Up to episode 4, this Ryan is not mentioned anywhere. I checked the subtitles even for it. Although it's a little spoilery, I saw on IMDb we'll have to wait until episode 6 to learn more about him. So, with that information, we can stop breaking our heads about this and leave it until the series will give us more about him. It's just good to know that we didn't miss anything and haven't overlooked anything. Second off, I'm recording my feedback normally on Saturday or Sunday, but because I have to travel this weekend to Germany, For the 75th birthday of my father-in-law, I record this already on Wednesday, which means I haven't heard your episode 3 podcast when I record this audio feedback. Third off, last podcast Wayne was talking about how good Shirley's conversation with her kids was about the death of her aunt Nell. There was one very nice word twist there. You probably haven't noticed it, but I thought it was very funny. Have a listen. That conversation
1: with the kids is awesome. Like, she's so good and understanding and patient. Like, probably, like, I'll be truthful. I probably would have freaked them If they were my kids and and they weren't supposed to be there and I'm doing what she's doing, I probably would have gone ballistic on them. Yeah, but she doesn't. She's very... Calm and patient, and um her, her speech to the kids is, is just
2: absolutely—it's is just perfect. It's just dead on. I found this so funny that uh, you were saying that it's dead on, especially in the context of their dead on now. There is one other thing in your episode two podcast that I disagree on. You were talking about the sanity of Olivia. Have a listen. As I
0: said, I think the incident with her killing that fifth kitten says more about her yes. impending insanity
2: than you know, the uh, migraine. I disagree on that killing the kitten is a proof of or an indication of insanity. If I would have a kid and four or five cats already died and it was not going well with giving just cow milk or whatever i would kill the fifth kitten as well just ending the suffering of this little creature and would i lie to my child well probably not okay further about the episode after a stephen shirley and theo centered episode we here get a luke centered episode i wonder what the next will be Nell, or you or olivia I just wonder why the scene in the beginning of the episode with the blind guy from Luke's rehabilitation group is given so much screen time, or is this just setting the tone, the atmosphere in a rehab clinic? I have to say that that guy's story is quite horrible, about a girl with burnt eyes. He didn't want to see that girl's face anymore, and uses a knitting needle to blind himself. Since then... He sees her 24-7 and nothing else. Or is it that this story influences Luke so much that he sees his mother at the end of the episode with glowing or even burning eyes? Later on in the library, is Olivia telling in her déjà vu what was there previous in Hill House or is she imagining what it could become? If it's really something that was there in the past, then obviously you is used to the fact that Olivia has such experiences. Of course, everybody loves little Luke with his big bowler. Really marvellous. I really love bowlers. I even have one. On graduation day for my medical degree, I even wore a tailcoat with a bowler. And I even married like that. Which is not a usual thing in the Netherlands. Such a pity that the big floating ghost took poor Luke's bowler. The question is, did he steal Luke's bowler or did he just took it back? A little nitpick was that we were not allowed to see what happened after Luke started screaming. On the other hand, it was a memory of present day Luke. So that could of course just stop at any time. I liked how they did the floating ghost, especially with that stick uh, making that pounding sound. Of course everything is so dark and we only see the face very shortly when he bends over and looks under looks bad. I couldn't resist taking a screenshot, make it much lighter and turn it 180 degrees. If you do this you just can see an older man's face with the typical whitish eyes as we have seen before. I really wonder what happened so quickly between Lee and Stephen. If you see in this episode that Joey and Luke had a nice dinner at Stephen and Lee's house, just only two months ago. Is it the having kids discussion that plays a role here? Okay, going to the end of the episode. Steve is telling that Nell committed suicide and then after a little while Luke says it wasn't I think you has something to do with Nell's death and perhaps even with Olivia's will we get a you episode next time greetings all the best Fred from the Netherlands
0: all right well you know so a few of the things we we did talk about and um, you know he mentions about that character we saw sitting on the couch at the funeral home that must have been two episodes back i think right and we tried to figure out who that guy actually was and uh
1: what we knew, it wasn't the funeral director i mean i thought i think we said that
0: back then right so now the other thing he, he brings up is the killing of that fifth kitten and and i'm i'm not exactly sure fred what you mean the killing of the fifth kitten is more of an indication of Olivia's insanity than having a migraine. And Fred, you disagree. I think I heard you correctly. So you think the migraine is what led her to kill the fifth kitten? Yes. Yeah, I'm just a little confused on, on that because I, I killing the fifth kitten that's that's pretty big to to be able to do something like that i mean you know you could release the kitten into the wild and figure it's gonna uh, die on its own
1: i I mean yes and no but you know is it not more merciful just to to put the thing out of its misery you know
0: yeah i get that i get that
1: um so Um, i i don't i don't necessarily seeing as being like like sick like what she did um, well
0: he, he no i was gonna say he does agree with uh me about the fact that olivia has apparently had experiences you know as we said they weren't really aren't deja vu in the strictest sense of the definition of the word but hugh as we said and and fred agrees seems to be rolling with it like this is not the first time that uh, he's heard that and and then of course he brings up the bowler and whether or not floating man is coming back to recover his bowler i mean did he know somebody took it out of the attic you know we we don't really know i mean we don't really see as fred points out what happens after luke starts screaming Uh, we assume his father or mother or both come to find out what's going on and they don't believe his story, but they do it in such a way. I I will give both parents, especially the father credit for telling his kid, you know what? I don't believe a word of what you're saying, but he does it in such a nice way. Yeah. I'll give the guy some credit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I do think the, uh, the ghost was somehow returning to take its bowler back, which, again, leads to the credence of it being some kind of supernatural thing that's able to, again, like these ghosts seem to be able to grab things and pick them up. That's what I'm saying You know, with Abigail earlier. Abigail takes the, the paper from, from Luke in that first scene that would seem to lend some credence that there is something there, right? Whether it's some kind of ghost or whether she's like an actual real girl, you
0: know? Yeah. But I I think the most significant point that Fred brings up that I certainly did not think at all. But now that he mentions it, he feels Hugh may have had something to do with not only Nell's death, but maybe even Olivia's death. And given the relationship the children seem to have with their father at this point maybe they don't necessarily think that but wow i i fred i like that uh, i mean i hate it but i like it yeah <laughs> i mean i you would hope the father wouldn't kill his own wife and then kill his own daughter i mean obviously it happens but he doesn't seem to be that kind of a man no no
1: he, he definitely doesn't see but you know like you know are they trying to pull one on us to make you seem you know overall sympathetic character and then actually be some kind of monster underneath who's maybe even responsible for everything i mean i don't necessarily see that but i can you know if it went there i you know i i think they could justify that you know narratively
0: well right and i don't Think he could certainly be responsible for the reflection of that woman's face. I mean, he could be responsible for the kids hearing Clara, but not the face. How, how would he have pulled that yeah, off? No,
1: I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I, well, I don't think that's I, the case. I, mean, there's, well, I, there's, but I do, there's definitely supernatural stuff going on here. Yeah, you know, I mean, right. I, I've, I've given up on the. Um, we can explain this all with science and psychology. I mean, there's the the, the floating man did it for me. Yeah, I mean that, that that is not I mean uh, y- yes we could say oh well it's just you know again maybe luke is just imagining it but did he did he really imagine the floating man taking the bowler putting it on his head and walking out of the room with it I mean you yeah, know pretty good imagination there you know I think uh, that there's actual ghosts in here the the, hill, the house is actually haunted and that's right. what I mean I don't that. think
0: we can allow ourselves to be blinded by science Nice. You say she blinded you, you with there, science. Yeah, I'm setting you up there. You she didn't take blinded the me with science. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else that Fred brought up that you want to address?
1: Uh, hold on. Let me look back at my notes. I got on a different page here. Um, hey, I was just going to say, looking good in the bowler there in the pick you sent us there, Fred, from your <laughs> oh wedding. right with his
0: wife. That yes, nice.
1: That's nice. Um, he said, like, bowlers aren't popular in the Netherlands. Um, not really anywhere else as well, I think. <laughs> you know, and they can make a comeback. know yeah, it could happen. But uh, right now, it's not, not a big, big thing like anything like that.
0: Yeah, and I think that's about it. Okay. Well, Fred's feedback was a little shorter than usual. He had to travel to Germany for a, a family birthday. I believe it was somebody's 75th birthday. I forget exactly who and his father I believe he said. Is that what it was? And I yeah. told him, make sure you stay away from Wyndon. And he yeah. sort of mentioned to me, he didn't go into any detail, that maybe he would have a Wyndon story for us when he gets back. Oh, so, all right. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that. But Fred, nice. thank you as always. And I guess we'll leave it there for this episode of The Haunting of Hill House. And we want to thank you guys for joining us. We'd love to hear what you think about Hill House, Dark, Travelers which we now have a firm date on encourage you to join the Facebook group, share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community if you're already a member, spread the word emails go to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com voicemails via the SpeakPipe tab which you can access through the website and we'll be back next week to take a look at episode 5 of Netflix's horror series The Haunting of Hill House titled The Bent Neck Lady but until then... So, you know, my, my
1: oldest uh, is going to come home for the first time uh, for from university. Uh, so even though the place he goes is only like a half hour away. Um, but the minute he left, his brother cleared out their room, uh, took his bed out, took his dresser out, basically, you know, cleared every reminder of his brother out of there. <laughs> um, so Sean sent me actually a text the other day that says... I need a couch asleep on the goddamn floor.